Hi, it's me, Moki Makura. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Women on Top Talks, the Africa edition. So this is the show where we give you a mix of work-related opinion, a bit of commentary, and one of my favorite things, advice. It's inspired by the things that have come up in my career and also in the career of the women whose stories you'll hear later in the series. So if you haven't yet heard it, please go back and listen to Carol Abade. She's the CEO of one of the leading experiential marketing agencies in Africa, and she shares her story. It's worth it. So this week, we are talking about perfection and how young girls are socialized to be perfect, while young boys are encouraged to take risks and just be brave. You'll find out how that has probably impacted on your career. But first, I need you to answer this question. Well, at least think about it. Do people around you, colleagues, partners, friends, do they think you're a perfectionist? Before you answer that, let me explain. Reshma Sarjani is the best-selling author of the book Brave, Not Perfect, and she's the founder of an organization called Girls Who Code. In 2016, she did a TED Talk where she explained the difference between how boys and girls approach a challenge. And it's really interesting. So Reshma runs coding classes for boys and girls. And if you know anything about coding, and I don't, it's an endless process of, of trial and error. In other words, it requires imperfection. Reshma found that the girls would write code and delete it over and over and over again. So instead of showing the progress they'd made, they would rather show nothing at all because they feared not getting it right. So for the girls, it was perfection or bust, but it was totally different for the boys. You see, young boys are encouraged to take risks, to step out and be brave, and young girls simply aren't. Women generally, and I'm putting my hand up on this one, we have a tendency to want everything to be perfect. And as a result, we tend to take fewer risks. But here's the crux. Our perfectionist behavior, it can make us difficult to work with or to work for. And that won't be the first time I've been told that. Being a perfectionist has a direct and sometimes detrimental effect on our lives, especially our work lives. It impacts our choice of careers, the jobs we apply for, and it means we actually shy away from opportunities that are slightly outside of our scope. I remember my husband always used to tell me to apply for jobs that I felt were totally out of my league, and he just couldn't understand why I didn't try. I didn't try because I felt I wasn't qualified enough for them, and I didn't understand back then either why. According to LinkedIn research, women on average we apply for fewer positions and in particular for less senior positions than men do. In other words, we make safer bets and we take less risks in our career.
perfectionist at work, it also means that you're probably, almost definitely, a bit of a micromanager. And if you're not sure what that is, ask somebody on your team. Because often there's only one way of writing that report or executing on that project or even presenting at that meeting. It's usually your way. So you probably get involved, you agree what needs to be done, and then you set about making sure it's done exactly your way. So if you have ever experienced working for a perfectionist, then you'll know how disempowering and how unpleasant, really, it can be. A friend of mine who was the CEO of a small organisation once told me about the female chair of the board that she reported into. This woman would question or correct literally everything my friend did. She even went as far as changing the font, changing the font on the documents she submitted. I mean, really? I mean, who cares if it's Times New Roman or Ariel? But clearly, this woman did. She got overly involved and interfered in everything my CEO friend was doing. My friend lasted six months in the role and described those six months as probably the worst of her career. So if you have or currently work for a perfectionist, it's frustrating, it's hard, and you feel like you're not really trusted, you start losing confidence in your own abilities, and it's literally a downward spiral from there. But here's a thought. If you're micromanaging your team, that means that you are doing not only your work, but you're also doing the work of the people you manage. I once had a meeting with a female CEO of a not-for-profit and two members of her team. And I noticed that throughout the meeting, she was the one taking notes, very detailed notes. So she was writing a lot of the time. I mean, she was looking down. So she didn't make that much eye contact and she definitely wasn't leading or guiding the conversation. Sadly, as you can probably expect, she didn't last that long. She was eventually ousted because her team complained about her and the board removed her. She had been so busy doing the work rather than guiding the ship that she didn't realise when she hit an iceberg. And by the way, here's a tip from watching how men successfully lead meetings. Stop taking minutes. You are not the PA. And if you must, just jot down the two or three actions you've agreed to. I mean, trust yourself, you'll remember the rest. I mean, I've seen so many meetings where women are spending the time, they're making notes and ignoring the real dynamics in the room. And by the way, there's apps like Otter or even just voice notes on your phone where you can record the entire meeting so you don't have to take notes. If you're a perfectionist, you almost definitely think it's just easier to do things yourself. And there's this recurring theme of women in leadership roles taking up way too much work and simply burning out. Research shows that burnout rates are the highest amongst women. The 2021 annual Women in the Workplace report, which is done by McKinsey and Lean In, found that the gap between women and men who say they're burnt out has nearly doubled in the last year. Women are feeling the burden of the pandemic disproportionately. Let's face it, we are the ones who manage the kids' remote learning. We're the ones making lunch and ensuring the household chores are done. And we generally take on more responsibilities than our male counterparts at home. So there's so much more pressure on women to balance work and childcare, and it's leading to more stress. 
One in three women has considered downshifting her career, one in three, or simply just leaving the workforce altogether in the past year, rather than ask for help. And women in particular, we struggle to ask for help. We tend to have this can-do attitude, so we just get on with it. And many of us feel that in order to prove our worth, or that we've made it, we just have to do everything ourselves. An American podcaster, Elaine Flucker, calls it the I've got it syndrome. In some cases, we don't ask for help because we think it's a sign that we can't cope with a job or that we're out of our depth. But there's another reason why women in leadership roles don't ask for help. It's sometimes because we can't see that we need help. And that's because typically some women think they're in the role to manage, not to lead. So they manage whatever resources they have. So they don't have a vision or a plan or a strategy for whatever it is they need to achieve. So they won't know how big a team or how much time or budget or additional resources they actually need to do the job well. Consequently, we have no real idea what it takes to deliver. So how can we ask for help? I once worked with a woman who ran one of our subsidiary offices. For years, she had plotted away doing the best that she could with just one person, her PA. So every day, she did more of what she did the day before. And she worked really hard, don't get me wrong. But there was no growth, there was no vision, there were no plans, no intentions for growth. And eventually, she was moved aside. And they replaced her with a man. But it was amazing to watch this man work. The first thing he did was to sell a vision to leadership of what the business could look like. And then he developed a plan and a strategy to roll it out. And then, and then, only then did he ask for help. He obviously needed a team to execute on this grand plan and his role was to drive that team, not to do the work. So from a two-woman operation, within one year, he had grown the business to more than 25 people who directly or indirectly worked for him. It was phenomenal to watch and I learned a huge lesson about how to lead and get what you need. And that's one of the best ways to ask for help. Map out the full scope of work that needs to be done, no matter what it is. Show the big picture. Show what it takes to deliver on that vision. And if you can't or you don't get the help you need, then be clear what the trade-off is. You don't have to do it all. You don't have to do everything. You really don't. And it doesn't matter if it's not perfect. promise you. So until you can get yourself an executive coach or a mentor who can help you navigate the landmines in your workplace, you've got this podcast, Women on Top, to listen to. It's all about community. That's it for me. I hope you enjoyed today's show and took away something from it. I'm Oki Makura and I'll see you in two weeks when we hear from our next phenomenal woman on top. Oh, 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 oh,